0: Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery, where we will continuously bring you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed in any manner whatsoever as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies mentioned. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. As commerce evolves and gets replatformed online, I do think it's important to understand some of the dynamics happening underneath the surface. There's been plenty of innovation on the front end, companies like BigCommerce that just went public, Wix, Shopify, Squares, Weebly, Magento, and really others democratizing the ability to sell. Uh, In addition, checkout payments, all of that has evolved. We've seen companies like PayPal's Braintree, Stripe, others offering reliable, scalable checkout solutions. In addition, we see compelling opportunities within social commerce. Uh, companies like Facebook, Instagram, even Pinterest, they're really well positioned to turn that purchase intent, those eyeballs into conversion. However, this gets back to the point and essence of today's conversation. The guts of every e-commerce operation is, is really all about trucks, planes, ships, people, and the orchestration of it all. Whether it's automation or no automation at all, uh, we're hearing companies like Nike, talk about automation and robotics uh, recently. I also had a chance to sit down today with Matt Hertz. He has led operations at brands such as Rent the Runway, Birchbox, Ship. All three are really well-known e-commerce companies. Uh, Rent the Runway reached a billion-dollar evaluation last year. They successfully built a rental kind of ready-wear accessory, and other category business. Matt now runs and operates Second Marathon, Uh, What they do is they look to solve some of the supply chain challenges for emerging brands. He has a really compelling uh, client list, exceptional brands, and anyone looking to scale, obviously reach out to him. But with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation ahead with Matt. Hello, Matt. Thanks for joining me today on Inside Scoop. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sean. Good. Yeah. So, So you've seen... The evolution over the last several years in direct to consumer DTC. Uh, you were the head of uh, operations at places like Birchbox, Rent the Runway, Ship. I know I gave a little bit there, but just share with us a little bit about yourself. Where are you up to today? Uh, and any other things that uh, that that you think are uh, meaningful uh, about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. I actually I, I was I was born and raised in Canada. I guess um, that isn't necessarily overly relevant to this conversation, but. I always like to start there, um, and uh, I moved to New York after college. Started off in finance. Actually, I was working at a at a small fund in New, in New York City, and then after a couple of years, uh, you know, some of the most exciting years in financial history in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, decided to join uh, the first startup I was a part of, which you mentioned, uh, Rental Runway. Uh, a couple of weeks into that business, as their fifth or sixth employee, their first ops hire, and really helping them scale their uh, proprietary uh, logistics and and dry cleaning operation. Um, Then joined uh, the co-founders of Birchbox uh, as their first employee. A couple months into that business, we were shipping about 500 monthly orders. And ultimately, when I decided to leave about four years later, you know, the end of 2014, we had just crossed a million orders a month and, you know, had operations in, you know, five countries globally. Um, Moved out to San Francisco uh, because I was told I should spend some time in California. uh, So did that. Ah, uh, joined SHIP, um, kind of the end of 2014, uh, spent a little over three years at the company, uh, ultimately decided to leave San Francisco, um, you know, really at my four-year mark, um, you know, around this time in 2018, so just about two years ago. Um, currently uh, living in Nashville and have been here since leaving San Francisco. Um, and really from the time I left SHIP in kind of uh, October 2017, so coming up on three years now, um, I started Second Marathon, which is uh, the the entity that I operate today with my business partner, who's based in uh, the Bay Area. And you know, really, Second Marathon is a way to support uh, emerging and high-growth e-commerce businesses. You know, many of which are digitally native brands. Really helping them in a similar capacity as my partner and I were helping brands when we were you know helping the Birch Boxes to rent the runways. Uh, you know, my partner Ryan was at Everlane running supply chain but really building this as a way to help brands in a similar capacity. So focused on, you know, shipping, fulfillment, you know, working with three PLs or developing the in-house operations, negotiating shipping rates, launching internationally, packaging, all that kind of stuff that is often overlooked by brands, you know, when they're, um, you know, just getting up
0: and running. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. A much more detailed than, uh, um, than I knew before this. So pretty interesting. Obviously we're at the runway being so early there. Um, they moved to trying to sell in, in brick and mortar and this is kind of somewhat off topic at the start, but, uh, what do you think about their, their move to brick and mortar? And I think they, they pulled back on that. Um, the going from, uh, obviously just digital first to, to then, um, to, to, brick and mortar and kind of trying that out and then kind of, uh, uh closing off some of those, uh, brick and mortar resources.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I was not part of those decisions, so I can't, I can't speak, uh, you know, directly. You know, part of the impetus of yeah. doing that, but certainly, um, you know, where my kind of ops cap here, um, you know, I think a a a big part of that was basically using these brick and mortar stores as return centers. Uh-huh. So, you know, given that most of what goes out comes back, um, you know, at some point in the future, you know, reducing the amount of shipping spend that they need, you know, the freight spend to get all these. Uh, packages back, especially in major markets where they saw a lot of customers like the New York's of the world, the LA's, you know, the Boston's, Georgetown and DC and, you know, a number of other markets where they had, um, their own stores and then partnerships with, I, I believe it was Neiman Marcus. Um, you know, made, it made a lot of sense sort of operationally and strategically. Um, and, you know, also provided an opportunity to, you know, just sort of promote the brand, market the brand and, you know, kind of high value, um, high traffic real estate. But yeah, you know, I saw the same headlines that, um, you know, you're sort of speaking of a few weeks ago when, um, you know, they announced that they were you know pulling back on the brick and mortar, which, um, you know, again, you know, don't have, uh, you know, a full sense of why exactly, but, you know, just sort of hypothesizing. I mean, yeah, we're, we're 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 talking in sort of September October uh, twenty twenty here, and you know we know the way the world looks with you know real estate and you know folks being you know maybe a little more timid to you know step outside and you know shop in the traditional sense. So you know I'm sure
0: that was part of the uh, decision there. For sure, I think everyone's questioning all these different um, digital native brands. Where uh, should they move into brick and mortar? Obviously, this isn't that moment where uh, it may make sense, or maybe it does on the rental side, um, but kind of separating from that, let's level set. I think people get confused with the with the term D to C or direct-to-consumer. Wanted to get your your side of it, how would you define direct-to-consumer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? I, you know, I'm certainly not the, uh, you know, marketing guru here. So, you know, take things with a bit of a grain of salt here. But, um, you know, direct-to-consumer is, uh, you know, how the consumer wants to transact today, right? I mean, I think you know, we think of like you know, we we often talk about e-commerce, right? Uh, and you know, there's probably four ways of spelling e-commerce, but um, you know, it's I I always you know sort of scratch my head when I think about you know brands kind of disseminating between e-commerce and offline commerce. Like to me, it's all commerce, right? And if you want to be relevant in you know 2020, you know, in this decade, you know, relevant to um customers really across all age groups but certainly you know boomers millennials gen z you know the next generation uh we're buying everything online right so even if you don't have you know a direct shop where someone can transact you need to have other partnerships with entities so you know maybe a direct you know having a digital presence that you know tells the customer where to purchase you know i was talking to a food brand the other day and they don't sell um e-commerce through their own website, but they have a website which tells you where to buy their product and they're located in every Whole Foods in the country. So, you know, what I did was, you know, I noticed that and then I pulled up my, you know, Amazon Prime now app and, you know, where I can purchase from Whole Foods and, and and bought the product, right? And they were able to retain that sale. So a little different than, you know, direct to consumer, you know, for the actual brand, which, you know, certainly carries complexity, costs, you know, doing the fulfillment themselves, outsourcing, and there's a lot of manage there. So, you know, I think that's why you see a lot of uh, marketplaces. Whether it's you know, obviously Amazon being the um, you know largest marketplace, but you know, other uh, uh, marketplaces like you know the eBay's and SBs, you know, in the food space, maybe it's Thrive Markets and businesses like that, where you know they often absorb a lot of the you know heavy lifting, so to speak, and selling online and you know reducing the burden on the individual uh, brand or or seller, but. Um, you know, you know, even pre-COVID, I mean, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, Tab, having this conversation today, but, you know, six, seven, eight months ago, pre-COVID, um, you know, e-commerce was, you know, growing at, you know, exceptional rates as an industry, right? I mean, you know, depending on who you ask, you know, e-commerce growing at, you know, 15, 16, 17% year over year. I mean, think of any other, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar industry. That's growing at those numbers, right? I mean, that means that it's doubling every four years or so. I mean, you know, I just, you know, I always try to paint this visual in my head of like, imagine, and, and you know, today it's grown a lot higher than 15, 16, 17%. You know, it's, you know, the last couple of quarters, it's been closer to 30%, but, you know, it's probably going to sort of, uh, plateau around 20% for the, you know, next few months. Um, you know, imagine, you know, just thinking three to four years from now, probably closer to three years from now, there will be 2x the amount of, you know, e-commerce, of online commerce than there is today. You know, that means, you know, potentially twice as many, you know, UPS and FedEx vehicles and Amazon delivery trucks and twice as many boxes showing up at your door. And I, I, I mean, it's just incredible to think about the time that we're in right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. and And kind of Furthering that, obviously, outside of just simply more volume, uh, shifting towards online, what, what other kind of, uh, I'd say, key elements or, or other things taking place within e-commerce today that you're seeing that maybe um, uh, others aren't necessarily uh, looking at? Is it, is it more on the logistics side? Is it warehousing? Uh, is it uh, just honestly setting up uh, a website that uh, you can transact through? Uh, is the payment side just where are you seeing the focus today from a lot of the brands?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Again, you know, given that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty focused on the, um, you know, kind of operations and supply chain side of e-commerce, I don't have a perfect purview on what happens in terms of, you know, marketing and and SEO and, you know, content and some of the other important aspects of, um, you know, running an online business or, you know, running a business overall. But, um, you know, certainly in my world, uh you, you know, I like to say that um, you, you know, companies or you know, platforms like Shopify, I mean certainly Amazon and any of the others that I mentioned earlier, but you know, you think of Shopify, you know, really the the best the 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 best of breed um you know direct uh, uh selling channel, um, they make it so darn easy for you know someone like myself who's not a you know a technologist, you know, I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder. Um, I know how to send an email and hop on a Zoom invite, but, you know, that's about the extent of my, uh, you know, technical prowess. But it makes for someone like myself that, you know, within a couple hours after this phone call uh, or, you know, after this uh, podcast, you know, I can have a website that looks pretty decent, right? And, you know, when I started my career in e-commerce about a dozen years ago... Like that was not possible, right? Like, you know, it was all, you know, very much, you know, a little bit of WordPress, you know, a lot of Magento, Demandware, some of these kind of older, more antiquated platforms where you need dozens and dozens of developers in-house, certainly several developers to actually build it for you. So, you know, Shopify and, and, and companies like that have really democratized the ability to launch an e-commerce uh, business. You know, the final frontier of friction now in the e-commerce world is the physical aspect of it right it's the it's the fulfillment it's the logistics it's the shipping that's where there's significant cost right i mean we often tell you know clients of ours that you know typically you know just on average um you know typically about 15 to 20 percent of your top line should be kind of budgeted to um uh, logistics so that's you know packaging that's fulfillment you know warehousing and shipping so you know, uh, the the challenge is that it's so darn easy to spin up a website. You have tools like, you know, Google and Facebook and Instagram and Snap and all these, you know, social medias to actually take a sale, right? There's, there's influencers to kind of push your product. So long as you have money, you can take sales. But, you know, what we see, you know, regularly is all these, um, you know, entrepreneurs and small businesses coming to us saying, Hey, you know, we launched our business, you know, last week or a couple months ago. You know, we were doing a couple orders a day and now we're doing 50 orders a day, 100 orders a day, and we can't keep up with it, right? Like, you know, expense is killing us. We know we haven't optimized our shipping rates and we're buying packaging off, you know, from convenience stores and staples. And, you know, we just know we're not doing this optimally, but, um, you know, like, like where do we turn? So in my world, um, you know, the 3PL space, you know, the outsourced uh, logistics space um, is, is, is just booming, right? I mean, it's, I I mean, seldom can you, you know, will you be able to talk to a 3PL nowadays who has excess capacity? Because, I mean, you know, it's been Christmas for them since, you know, March and April. Uh, so it's really, really challenging. I mean, this is, you know, logistics operations is not enterprise software, right? It's not, it's not Shopify and, you know, AWS that sort of scales, you know, virtually, um, you know, infinitely, this is like the physical world. It's labor. Um, it's, it's people and you sort of, um, uh, you, you know, marry the, the growth and sort of the tailwind in e-commerce with the fact that it is grown so much because of COVID and, you know, what COVID has done to humans, the people in terms of, you know, making people sick, having people, you know, uh, shy to show up to work, especially in a people-centric business that is fulfillment it's made it incredibly challenging for brands to, you know, just stay above water and ensure that their orders get out in a timely manner.
0: Yeah. What kind of products are you seeing there that are gaining traction kind of in the, when you think of the middle part of, uh, of selling, right? The logistics, the warehousing, I know there's companies like Flexi and some others that have kind of um, uh, scalable warehousing that's all across the country. Um, What other products are you seeing? Like when, when you're talking to somebody that, is having those logistical nightmares as as demand is is too strong and warehouses are full, where are you turning to to really get that flexible warehousing and, and kind of Shopify is at the front end, but in the middle, what what kind of companies and 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 products are you seeing that are getting uh, traction here?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you mentioned you know a couple of them, you know, so Flex, you know, up in Seattle, I mean they're they're you know terrific at what they do. Um, you know, they're, they're what we sort of call 4PL, which sometimes, uh, bursts people's minds to know that, <laughs> you know, there's not just a 3PL, there's a 4PL, right? Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they have a really, um, a really unique network of, um, you know, warehouses that sit, um, under their technology layer, um, that makes for, I mean, you know, they're aptly named flex because of their flexible warehousing. So um you know we work with a number of clients who um, have been on you know the flex platform or are looking to move onto the flex platform um and they offer a really a really unique solution there i mean they you know they have a couple uh, competitors as well um you know companies like space and stored and others um but you know they're they're a really interesting solution um for their flexibility and you know kind of you know to my point um just before this with you know some of these um, small businesses, and and frankly, not just small businesses, but you know it could be enterprise size businesses, like quite large businesses. You know they're just growing so rapidly. You know this year because of you know the world that we live in, um, and frankly, over the last couple months, a lot of that volume has sort of plateaued and maybe declined a little bit. Where you know for a while they were like, I, you know, we just need all the all the space possible, and now it's like, well we're starting to dip a little bit as, you know, things have settled down in some markets around the country. There's been some reopening only to hopefully over the next couple of months, see, you know, a rapid acceleration again as, you know, we sort of get into the holiday season and weather cools around the country. So it's maybe less a little less enjoyable to go on a stroll to your local, uh, you know, target or, or, uh, you know, shop to purchase something, you know, you sort of um, shift that purchase online. So, um, companies like Flex, um, you know, they're they're a private business. So, you know, we don't have a whole lot of publicly information there, but, um, you know, I imagine they are doing uh, exceptionally well. And then you sort of think of like, you know, a lot of the um, carriers, right? You know, the FedExes, the UPSs, Pulse Services, um, and, you know, DHL, a number of others. And I mean, a lot of those businesses are publicly traded. So we see a lot of information that comes out of them. You know, FedEx just announced their quarterly earnings a short while ago. And like, Business, even at that scale, right? You think of a business like FedEx that's doing, you know, uh, I forget the exact number, but directionally, tens of billions of dollars in in parcel delivery. I mean, that business is growing, you know, on the ground side, you know, 30 plus percent year over year. And I mean, it's just, uh, you know, magnificent what's
0: happening in the space. Yeah. And the shifting gears slightly, let's talk about the marketplaces, right? So, um, some of them, so, so Amazon, obviously, Walmart is is emphasizing their marketplace, and we have the the, the view that marketplaces again, it's all about reviews, rankings, ratings. Um, while, like you said earlier, uh, kind of a true direct to consumer brand, where uh, you, you're essentially trying to create some of the traffic to yourself, uh, you rely on traditional marketing uh, uh, strategies along with digital marketing strategies along with influencers. How do you think about the, the two in terms of maybe the cost for a direct-to-consumer versus simply just going onto a, a marketplace? Uh, obviously, from day one, it's, it's difficult, right? Because you're competing with a lot of uh, products that already have reviews, rankings, and ratings. Uh, and then there's, they're, they're building ad, ad uh, engines across these marketplaces. But in general, how do you compare and contrast the two when, when, you're, when you're thinking about, hey, we have a product. And uh, what do we do? Do we, do we put it on a marketplace or do we just simply keep it direct to consumer where uh, we're selling through Instagram and and some of the other channels that, uh, and, and building out your own website and really trying to draw traffic to yourself as opposed to relying on a marketplace that has millions of, of consumers on the other side.
1: Yeah. You know, so this is where I, I, I sort of preface by saying, don't listen to me because I'm not the you know marketing <laughs> and growth guru here, but <laughs> Um, but yeah, look, I, I, you know, this is kind of like the million dollar question or, you know, the billion dollar question for a lot of brands, which is like, do you sell through Amazon or, you know, eBay or, you know, some of these uh, traditional marketplaces or, um, do you just sell direct? You know, do you spin up a Shopify website or, you know, website on Big Commerce or Magento and, you know, kind of, you know, own the customer and all that? And, um, there's no, uh one size fits all response to that or you know solution it really depends on a case by case basis there's you know certain attributes like the size of the business, their their you know um you know growth uh goals, um the number of SKUs, you know, the number of products they sell, the ALVs, you know, the average values of the orders. Um, so you sort of have to throw a bunch of these uh um you know attributes or variables into a pot. And figure out, you know, what makes sense from there. I and mean, generally, um, look, I mean, Amazon's um, just extraordinary, right? I mean, you know, uh, I, I think safe to say one of the most uh, extraordinary businesses, you know, of the 21st century. Although, you know, we're only 20 years in, so sure, um, that, that, that probably won't age too well. But certainly, you know, over the first 20 years of this century, um, certainly one of the most extraordinary businesses. Um, you know, I spend, uh, you know, they have a, a huge share of my wallet, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, and I'm a, a very happy shareholder of theirs as well. But, um, you know, it's a great business, but you lose a lot of control of the experience, right? Like you don't own the customer, right? Uh, you can't, you know, ship it in branded packaging, right? You know, which, you know, that sort of unboxing experience is really, um, you know, really important touch point for a lot of brands. So, um, you know, you lose a lot of the personalization and customization that, you know, kind of what 21st century brands stand for. But how do you like exclude, you know, 45, 50% of eyeballs in the US, right? Like, you know, Amazon is cannibalizing search from Google. I mean, that's how powerful they are, right? You know, when I'm looking for something, you know, I bought some outdoor heat lamps the other day, um, you know, in preparation for the winter months. Uh, you know just for personal use and like i didn't even start googling you know where like i i didn't look on walmart i didn't look anywhere else you know i just went straight on amazon because i mean it, they just make it so darn easy and i know it'll get here when i need it there and returns policies are strong they have all my credit card information shared so amazon's great in that sense but you know i think um you really have to appreciate that like you know you're just renting customers through amazon so You know, I think brands that really, and you know, this is where I'm speaking a little out of turn, but you know, brands that really succeed on Amazon are those who have a really strong, you know, direct or digital presence where, you know, customers, you know, they, they, they purchase on Amazon because they see the product on Amazon. They have all the eyeballs. They, you know, I, I receive my, my outdoor heater and I see it's from, you know, Matt's, you know, heating company, um, you know, in, you know, Nashville, Tennessee. I start Googling this company because I'm interested. And then I see, oh, well, they're also on Shopify or have a direct presence. You know, maybe I'll buy it on Shopify next because I have a little bit of empathy for the brand and the, you know, economics of selling through Amazon versus selling directly. So, you know, I think there's, um, you know, again, it's, it's a very complicated conversation. It's not like, yes, every brand, when you're just starting off should sell on Amazon or once you had a million dollars in sales, you, you must start selling on Amazon. Like it's, it's not so simple there.
0: Yeah, the, so the heater you bought, uh, did, so you didn't know the. It sounded like you didn't even think of the brand um, prior to, to, to purchase. I mean, I wouldn't know any any outdoor heating brand. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not
1: something I've looked at in the past.
0: Right. So, so I'm assuming the process went through again uh, a decent uh, review of the reviews um, a product positioning, I'm, I'm assuming it was first page, right? So it, it's kind of an interesting concept when you start to think about, uh, when you digitize, let's say, um, a, uh, brick and mortar facility, right. And, and kind of, you, you go to the first rack and the top row and, and kind of how a, well, uh, a grocery store thinks about uh, product placement within their, um, uh, within their facilities. Right. Um, now shifting to, let's say manufacturing, I know not necessarily the expertise per se, but on the manufacturing side, there's a lot of talk around China and, and it, it remains an important part of, of uh, the process for multiple product lines, including arguably the, the biggest seller in the world and Apple in terms of phones. Um, but what are you seeing there or at least hearing there in terms of uh, what companies are doing and how they're thinking about the region as, as it relates to um, the creating product? Uh, it, it's still really important. Some are trying to shift slightly. But what are you hearing, if anything, uh, that you can share?
1: Yeah, I mean, this this kind of goes back to the conversation around, um, you know, just sort of creating, um, you know, resiliency or redundancy in your supply chain. So, you know, part of the challenges that a lot of brands have faced, you know, this year due to COVID is that they've been... uh, uh, you know, so many, you know, especially US based businesses, you know, direct to consumer product based businesses manufacture their goods overseas, you know, in, in, in China and India, um, you know, in different parts of Asia or, you know, South America, you know, just not here in the US for, you know, just because, you know, Southeast Asia, China tends to be, you know, much stronger, more economical than the resources we have here for certain products. And, you know, it was kind of like a double whammy for a lot of these brands where, uh, You know, we as brands were unable to get products, um, you know, shipped to us in the U.S. because, you know, China went into lockdown, you know, well in advance of the U.S. So, you know, they were delayed and then we were delayed and, you know, uh, containers weren't moving across the ocean. So it created this sort of bottleneck of, um, you know, despite brands and, or, you know, customers in the U.S. wanting to purchase certain products, brands couldn't manufacture it fast enough because, you know, of, of pauses overseas. And then, you know, once China and you know other parts of Asia started spinning up production again, and you know quarantines began to recede, um, you know, there was this issue of you know just not having um, sufficient uh, infrastructure or or you know ocean or freight capacity to actually get the product here. So it's been a very challenging year for a lot of these businesses, and I think it's um, brought to light this this sort of idea of you know, as I said earlier, you know, creating. Um, you know, whether it's redundancy or certainly resiliency in your supply yeah. chain. So, you know, if I'm, you know, Apple or, you know, maybe I should say, you know, I'm sure at Apple, um, they are thinking long and hard and, you know, politics aside, which obviously is a whole other um, can of worms with, you know, China and U.S. relationships right now, which is certainly not a moot point, but um, we won't go there right now. Um, But, you know, certainly from a resiliency perspective, you know, I'm sure Tim Cook and, you know, his, um, you know, lieutenants at Apple are thinking long and hard about bringing some of that production closer to the U.S., you know, whether it's, you know, actually manufactured stateside or, you know, in Mexico or parts where, you know, even if you think about Mexico, like, you know, physically attached to the country or Canada, you know, examples like that, um, there's a lot less risk in getting and in, in, in sort of moving product, you know, across borders, which, um, you know, I think... You know, when I was studying operations, you know, a little bit in college, and you know, reading, you know, some of the earliest books I read in college, there was very much that, you know, you learn about operations as principle of like just-in-time manufacturing, right? You know, or like lean, lean production or lean manufacturing. You know, there's been many books written on that, and you know, I'm sure in the colleges are still teaching that. But you know, I heard, you know, this this you know blurb, you know, a few months ago from someone, I you know, forget who to attribute it to, but it was something along the lines of you know, just-in-time production is, is you know, no longer what we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about just-in-case production. So, you know, whether that's having, you know, excess inventory at some inventory, you know, at some warehouse here in the U.S., you know, in the event that another COVID-type event happens or, you know, if there's a, a natural disaster, we have excess space. So, there's obviously holding costs. There's, you know, CapEx aspects of that. But, um, you know, you sort of want to plan for that black swan event going forward.
0: Yeah. 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 I I wanted to end off on, on your core in terms of logistics, thinking about Amazon uh, fulfilled by merchant versus fulfilled by Amazon. Obviously a lot of companies got somewhat trapped uh, during the first couple months of, of COVID, just simply given that uh, essential items were the ones that Amazon was, was, was shipping through their own, um, facilities, uh, fulfilled by Amazon and, and essentially the ones that, um, have made the investment to fulfill themselves, uh, or didn't ship at any point in time. It can kind of, uh, redirect, um, what are you seeing in that space? Uh, there's also like Shopify trying to build out their own. We, we know Wayfair has, uh, um, their uh, WDN network, uh, uh, which is their delivery network. But in general, how do you think about uh, Amazon f- uh, fulfillment versus fulfilled by merchant? Uh, is it about scale where the merchant should start to think about fulfilling it themselves and then using some of these, uh, either their, their own uh, network that they try to create and or leveraging some of the more flexible options like we talked about before? Uh, just trying to think about the pros and cons of of each from your point of view, and uh, I think that's a good place for us to kind of um, to end and 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 think about that uh, for the long term.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, so um, you know, I know, I you know, sound like a you know, a bit of a uh, you know, I keep repeating myself, but you know, there really is no one size fits all solution. You know, if you're if you're selling through Amazon. Um, and you know you need a fulfillment solution it's it's really really challenging to look anywhere but um FBA you know fulfilled by amazon the the economics are just extraordinary right i mean you were you are virtually piggybacking off their network you know off their shipping rates um it just does not make sense if you're if you're selling through amazon to do the fulfillment yourself um uh you know unless there's some you know sort of non financial reason why you want to you know more strategic um but that said um uh, you, you know there are uh, a lot of 3PLs, you know, that are sort of modern, progressive, um, that were sort of born in the e-commerce age, not in the wholesale and B2B age that are trying to morph into the e-com world. But a lot of these 3PLs who have functionality to support, you know, Amazon uh, Prime metrics and SLAs. So, um, uh, you know, Seller Fulfilled Prime is something where, you know, you can still get that Prime badge on Amazon. But it, the, the physical inventory does not need to be within Amazon's four walls. And frankly, Amazon is starting to encourage more sellers and more 3PLs to be qualified for seller fulfilled prime so that they don't need to continue taking down, you know, four wall buildings, right? Because that's difficult to scale as well. Right. So I think, um, you know, if you're selling through Amazon, you know, finding, um, you know, a 3PL that, you know, has a lot of experience in, uh, you know, Amazon selling that's qualified for seller for full prime will allow you to, you know, retain that, you know, prime badge, but it still doesn't solve for the economics, right? Like no 3PL is going to have as good rates as, as Amazon. So, you know, you sort of have to pull out, you know, your spreadsheet and really evaluate, you know, the, the pros and cons of using Amazon directly, you know, versus other. And I think it's the same for, um, you know, other marketplaces, be it, you know, Walmart, you know, Wayfair, uh, and you know others, others who have uh, you know Wish and you know other other platforms like that.
0: Got it. We'll do a bonus one. Uh, Walmart Marketplace. Are you uh, seeing any traction there in terms of uh, interest from from customers?
1: Yeah, you know what, I'm uh, I'm 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 very much an, an Amazon guy, <laughs> you know, if you will. I I, I think I've maybe transacted on um, on uh, Walmart
0: uh, you know dot com, you know, once, hard, maybe right? twice. It's just, a, it's just a harder experience. I've, I've tried yeah. to do stuff on there and I, it just doesn't, I, I get locked up in, on some pages and I'm just like, okay, I'm going on Amazon and it, it's me purposely trying to give it a try. Um, yeah.
1: Right. Like it just, it just feels like I'm, I'm, you know, a tourist traveling in a foreign country <laughs> where like, I don't know, you know, there's like, you know, language barriers, cultural barriers. Like I just feel, I feel lost on Walmart, which is, you know, very strange to say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, sellers, you know, small businesses that sell through, you know, all channels, right? You know, they, they, they sell through Amazon. They sell through Walmart. They sell through eBay and Etsy. I mean, I was, I was buying a, a uh, office chair uh, a few weeks ago. I, I, I had just moved, so I had to buy some new furniture. And, you know, I found a seller that literally sells through all the platforms. It was, it was, it was you know, marginally different price, but it was the same picture, same username. And, you know, I went to the marketplace that had, you know, the best, uh, you know, the lowest cost and the best returns policy, which, by the way, it was Amazon. It was not eBay. It was not Walmart. So, um, you know, I, I feel like Amazon stands for the customer, um, you know, often comes at the sacrifice of businesses, which is, you know, obviously a touchy subject. And I'm not saying, you know, go customer, boo business, but, um, you know, you, you, you sort of have to pick your, uh, you know, channel based on, you know, the requirements.
0: Right. Got it. Okay, that that's it. I think we can wrap there a lot there. I think um, I guess the, the the real takeaway is is there's a lot of interest in the guts of <laughs> of e-commerce, um, the, the people, the physical. Uh, that's really the probably the next um, phase of, of growth on e-commerce is really having all the companies that are developing uh, alternative logistics, alternative um, manufacturing um and stuff like that i think really really interesting what i wanted to do is uh for everyone listening how can they learn more about your company uh what type of people are are you looking for in general and, and just give you a moment to share uh, how they can contact you
1: sure i i'm i'm pretty active on twitter um matt a hertz is my uh, uh handle h-e-r-t-z uh you can email me at Matt N A T T at secondmarathon dot com for so the words second marathon, no no uh, hyphens or anything like that. Um and go to our website, secondmarathon.com. dot com and uh you know there you can subscribe to a newsletter that I send out every couple of weeks on uh e commerce and logistics and you know, you can email me there and you know learn a little bit about um some of the brands we work with. But Um, you know, if you, you know, you know, we like to tell people if you, if you pick something off a shelf and, you know, place it in a box and ship it to customers, um, you know, we'd love to talk to you and see if there are ways for us to, uh,
0: support you and your business. Cool. Matt, appreciate it, uh, coming on. Hopefully we can have you again at some point, uh, when things clear up and yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Sean.